children, it's time for Bible Hour with Mr. Lou. If you're ready, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Well, it is certainly interesting to be up here preaching today. It has been quite a while. You know, I can't remember, in fact, how long it has been. Maybe a year, maybe two years. It has been a while. Uh, but, nonetheless, we will carry on. You may have noticed that we are going to open the doors for Wednesday night Bible study this week. I do want to help lower your expectations for that a little bit. It's going to be more of a behind-the-scenes Bible study. In other words, we're going to be preaching and teaching live, but when it's time for the songs and stuff at the beginning and stuff, it's going to be quiet because we'll be doing stuff online and we won't have a uh, song leader here, plus the timing on that's a little complicated for my simple mind. We're going to work on how we can actually make that a better experience for you. But uh, coming right out of the gates, it may actually be not what you're expecting normally. Also, I want to thank you if you are online with us today. Thank you for being on YouTube. And uh, it is great to have you uh, in your, uh, on your sofas, in your PJs. Uh, however you are at your, uh, maybe, you're, maybe you haven't gotten out of bed yet and you're watching. But anyway, we welcome you today. Also, Adam, glad you are with us today. Adam, a longtime friend here in Modesto. Uh, Adam is having a job interview tomorrow at the ice plant. If you can, remember Adam in your prayer as he goes for that tomorrow. Also, I uh, see Holly and Scotty, and I wish I could remember all of the beautiful girls' names. Uh, they're right there, though, three beautiful children of the Christensen family. Glad you guys are with us today. I can't even say from Paul, that place in Washington. Holly up? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, way over up there. Anyway, thank you for being here. We are looking at Revelation uh, today, the seven churches of Asia Minor. Nick has led us through uh, a couple so far. We are going to visit the city of Thyatira today. We are talking about the doctrine of tolerance. And so as we start there, let me tell you about the city of Thyatira to start out with. Uh, the, the, this was the headquarters for a lot of guilds uh, or Maybe, uh, maybe not necessarily associations of people that did particular jobs. 
in this particular city, there were potters, there were tanners, there were weavers, there were robe makers, and they were people that dyed uh, uh, various linens and clothing. You may have actually heard of one of the people that lived there. In Acts 16, 14, it tells us that Lydia was from Thyatira. What we also know about Thyatira is that uh, it was a big a place that they really wa- uh, worshipped Apollo, a sun and fertility god. And as we see this letter, the longest of the letters to the seven churches, we think this must have been a large and significant city. But Pliny the Elder actually said, uh, Thyatira and other unimportant cities. And so it's not necessarily that big or unimportant of the city that we look at. But on the other hand, if you lived in Pergamum at this particular time, Thyatira was a very important city because the marauding armies and the various people that were going through and causing havoc and destruction during this time period. Well, you see, Thyatira was built on a flat piece of land. There were no outlooks for them to see anyone coming. There were no big fortress hills for them to protect their city with. And so there they sat as a place for armies to warm up on before they went and tried to destroy places uh, like Pergamum. As we look at the text, we see the characteristics of, characteristics of Christ. And it says in the text, these, these things say the Son of God, whose eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. If you are a city that God is addressing, you may not want this description to be of the one who is going to judge you. Uh, his eyes, like flame, uh, flames of fire, is not uh, something uh, uh, of a rom- romantic gesture. His eyes are going to be penetrating, and they are going to pierce you and see into your soul. His feet, being like burnished bronze, are like a refining fire melting brass. See, Jesus is coming to Thyatira to judge. And as we we look at this particular scene with, with our 21st century eyes, We don't like the idea that others may be looking at us and judging. And so here we have set for us a text that is going to cause us to be uncomfortable. But Jesus starts it off right. And if you've ever uh, had a on the job where they actually are reviewing you, and it starts off with some very nice pleasantries, Uh, you always are waiting for the hammer to drop on the other side. 
in a, as we look at this, as Jesus begins to speak to them, he says, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. You see, this congregation is doing good according to this first section. They, they are a congregation of hard workers. They are known for their action, not just for their belief. Of all the churches of the seven churches that are going to be reviewed and letters are written to, love is going to be talked about most here at Thyatira. In fact, they're the only church that Jesus commends for love. But I believe as we look at Thyatira, this is going to be a problem uh, at some point. Now, as we look at faith, Jesus says they are uh, a, a city of great faith, a church of great faith. Their deeds and their love were motivated by their faith in Christ. They loved what Christ had done for them, and it is causing them to work. And their service, you see, that means that they are heavily involved in ministry and serving others. They are taking care of business at hand. Uh, their patience, they had patient, patient endurance, steadfastness. If you can only imagine, uh, they knew that as they plowed into ministry, that as you, as you walk into culture, that things take a while to change. That you have to be willing to hang in there while you bring the message of Christ to people before you see things start to blossom and fruit starts to grow. But Jesus also says that they were doing more. Their latter works exceeded the first. Jesus is saying they are growing in their faith. They're not just resting in something that God did for them in the past. They are not sitting on their laurels. They are not looking at the great church uh, that they were formerly. They are focused on the future. As I look at our church today, I also wonder if Christ could give us the same commendations that he's given them. I believe we have great deeds of love, faith, service, and we have been a church that has persevered. And I believe that with the number of people that we have right now, we are doing more now than we ever have before, even in the midst of global pandemic. Someone may read Jesus' words up until this point and stop there and think, wow, this church gets a gold star. They get an A+. Plus. They are doing things right. And they are doing some things right, and Christ is letting them know they haven't failed. They just have some things that need to be touched on. And now we get the criticism from Christ in verses 20 through 23. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. 
because you allowed the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce, uh, seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I give her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. As you look at this paragraph, Jesus has made the accusation. He is telling them what is doing wrong. He is telling them from what is keeping them from being the church that they need to be. He also says uh, in this uh, section here, and all the churches shall know that I am he. The term I am he in the Greek, I am he, ego, a me, uh, is the word for I am. He is letting them know that he is God and that this God is condemning what they have done with Jezebel. But notice this too, I will give to each one of you according to your works. Some are doing good, some are doing bad, and God will be able to sift through it all and get down to the bottom of who is doing right and who is doing wrong. You see, the church in Thyatira was looking for love in all the wrong places. That was a country and western song, by the way. They were looking for love in all the wrong places. You see, Ephesus was strong in the doctrine or the teachings of Christ, but lacked love. Thyatira was strong in love, but weak in doctrine. Thyatira was not willing to disagree with anyone about doctrinal deviation. Let's circle back to love for just a second here. They bought into the lie that says you can love something without truth. But love without truth isn't love. They had been, notice they'd been seduced into sexual immorality and they were doing things uh, with idols at this time. The idea that love without truth isn't love. You see, if, if you are saying you love someone, but you're not holding them accountable, it's not love, it's infatuation. It's also not love, but it's concession. You're saying that it's okay for you to be involved in the sin that you are involved in. In fact, what it is, it's compromise. You're saying, I am willing to compromise the truth that the Bible offers for what I feel is good for me. What Jesus is telling them that this love that they are being known for is a misguided love at best. You see, if I truly love someone, I'm not going to withhold truth especially truth that will help them not meet their destruction. See, if I do, that means I indeed 
uh, means I'm indeed loving. I'm loving myself and my comfort, but I'm not truly loving the other person. If we aren't willing to confront, you see, true love confronts sin. If you're not willing to confront sin, you're willing to say, it's okay for you to go to hell. It's okay for you to not be uh, in Jesus Christ. It's okay for, for you not to be part of my forever family. He gives us the source of the doctrine of tolerance. And that is Jezebel. And I believe here Jezebel is a symbolic name. She represents a despicable woman from 1 Kings. If you remember, King Ahab was basically the most evil and dirty and demonic king that ever reigned in Israel. And he married an evil woman named Jezebel. And as soon as he married her, Ahab began to serve and worship uh, Baal, the false god that was constantly a thorn to Israel. Jezebel led people to commit sexual immorality and to offer their food to idols. And Ahab, toward the end of his life, developed a sudden thread of conscience after he heard what God had to say. If you want to read about this, go to 1 Kings 21. But here's the fact of the matter. As long as he was with Jezebel, he was tempted to sin gravely against God. Jesus said that this Jezebel was committing sexual immorality and was teaching and seducing people to do the same. She was leading people off the road of righteousness into the sins of darkness. Scripture calls idolatry the same things as spiritual adultery, like an unfaithful wife leaving her husband. So this Jezebel, in a sense, represents things in our life that lead to idolatry. The worshiping of other things or things instead of God. Now Jesus said that if they did not repent, they would eventually die. And I believe that what he's talking about here is a spiritual death. A death that will not lead them to forever life in heaven above. They will die they will die spiritually. And notice Jesus says, all will know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. I am he who knows what's going on. I am he who knows the truth. I am he that can see everything. I am he who you cannot hide from. I am he that wants to lead you out of the muck and mire of this world. Now, why would churches become tolerant? I believe that that's the big question. If Thyatira is going along and they're doing all these great works and doing all these good things, and they have the patient endurance, why could they be uh, led out into a sea of tolerance. My first comment on tolerance is 
Tolerance is live and well today. We are a culture of tolerance in the United States. We have, we have tolerance falling out of our ears, falling out of our hair. We have uh, been told that we must tolerate everything. The first one that we have, uh, these, these things that lead off into tolerance is a desire to fit in with the culture that surrounds you. You see, we live in a culture that embraces postmodernism. And postmodernism basically is a reader-oriented style of interpretation. Postmodernism is going to tell us that whatever you believe is right is what's right. That there is no absolute truth available. There is not propositional truth that can set the difference between what you do and what you do. It's a whole system that basically teaches we can't really know anything for sure. That truth changes, and as long as you believe it personally enough, it is true for you. In other words, there is no absolute right and wrong. And if you can't allow me to believe what I believe, you are a racist and a bigot, and you are intolerant. That's what our society is speaking to us today. That's what, as Christians, what we hear as we listen to media everywhere. Culture and community around you, if they are not based in the truth of God's word, will lead you to dark places. They don't care about your soul. They don't, in fact, uh, you know, they believe that all dogs go to heaven. Well, some of them do. Some of them don't believe uh, that. But, you know, that's the, the fact is, is that they will lead you into destruction. You see, culture and community in today's world exist to the glorification of self and sin. It's all about me. And it's, it's not so much that... Uh, uh, it's about sin. It's what you think sin is. The Bible defines what sin is. Our culture says that sin doesn't really exist except in your mind. So as we embrace postmodernism, we have to desire to please Jesus, not just fit in with culture and community around us. We can't buy into postmodernism. We have to believe that there are absolute truths and that the Bible is inerrant and that Jesus Christ will save you from your sins. Thank you. Another thing that will lead you into tolerance is a failure to rightly define sin. We can no longer publicly call uh, sin what it is. It is lawlessness, rebellion, treason, spiritual adultery, uh, breaking God's laws and commands. You can't call it that publicly anymore. We start wanting to use new words that uh, don't sound so defensive. We stop saying sin and start saying struggle. 
we stop saying sin and start saying disease. We, start, we stop saying sin and we start saying disorder. While we're at it, we start coming up with new definitions of the words, even the word tolerance. The National Lambda Chi Alpha position says, the definition of the new tolerance is that every individual's beliefs, lifestyle, and perception of the truth claims are equal. There is no hierarchy of truth. Your beliefs and my beliefs are equal and all truth is relative. Guess what, folks? Give you a little hint here. By definition, that means that tolerant people are intolerant of Christians. Another, another way that we, we fall out into uh, uh, tolerance is forsaking absolute truth for relativism. So Christians still believe in absolute truth, right? And I wish, I wish that I could say that I agree with you that all Christians still believe in absolute truth, but according to the Barna Research Group, which is a reputable research group, what they tell us is only 44% of born-again born adults are certain that absolute moral truth exists. 44%. Only 9% of born-again teenagers believe in absolute moral truth. What we're seeing is that postmodernism is winning. Postmodernism is is pulling us off into a tolerant society that doesn't understand, doesn't care, and isn't really sure what sin is or if sin really has any true consequences. Now listen to me here. Christians must stand up for the Bible being inerrant truth. We have to draw the line. We cannot uh, go venture out into the area that says there isn't absolute truth. We can't venture out into an area that says that we have to redefine everything that Jesus said into some, um, some material that will make people feel good. A Bible scholar, D.A. Carson, in commenting on the current state affairs in the world, said this, Tolerance means that you must not say that anybody is wrong. You have to say that all positions are equally valid. You see, the search for validation of the individual has led us to a place that we place the individual above God and God's word. The individual is here, God's word is down here. And as we feel good about what we're doing, even if we're hurting and stepping on other people, the fact is, this doesn't matter. This is God's word. So what? It was written 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago. It doesn't matter what it says here. Ah, it hurts my feelings. It causes me to feel bad. And I'm going to tell you, if, you're in, uh, if you are in 
the throes of alcoholism, of drug addiction, if your body is, is crying out because you want to abuse somebody or hurt somebody, the fact is you should not be affirmed or validated. Today, most would rather offend God than disagree with their neighbor. Because you have that momentary time with your neighbor where you feel uncomfortable. But I, I'm going to, this may be offensive to any of you postmoderns here in the audience. Momentary discomfort because you're standing up for the word of God should be what you want to do. It doesn't matter if it hurts for a moment if you get to spend eternity with God in heaven. As we also look at this drifting out to tolerance. See, what it, what it all boils down to is failing to take a stand for truth. And here, here's, Vern, you're wanting questions for your, your, your group. Here, here's one, and I'll make sure that I get it to you, is how should we react to those who believe differently than God's word? And that's, that's the question, isn't it? We live in a culture that denies God. We live in a culture that denies uh, and actually affirms all kinds of perverse actions and as i answer this question what i want to do is i'm going to give you four different scriptures that tell us how to react and stand for truth the first one first timothy 6 20 and 21 paul in talking to timothy he says timothy guard what has been entrusted to your care okay get that Guard what has been entrusted to your care. Next, turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in doing so have wandered away from the faith. Guard, turn away, and what? Make sure you sift through what people are telling you. Don't wander away from the truth. Second one here is going to be 1 Timothy 4, verse 7. I'm telling you, when Paul speaks, Paul can speak loudly. He says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Man, can I get an amen on that one? I mean, have nothing to do with these endless genealogies, this gossip that you have going around in your neighborhood. Uh, get rid of all those things that you think uh, are personal truths and are, are going to make you personally feel better. Be godly. The third thing, Titus 1, verses 10 through 13. He says, for there are many rebellious people 
full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced. Rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith. There are going to be many people around you that are going to have all kinds of nonsense spewing out of their mouths. And, and I'm going to say, rather than saying the circumcision group, there are going to be people that call themselves Christians that are, are going to be spewing this nonsense. And what Paul says there is they need to be silenced. Rebuke them sharply. And why are you actually doing that? Because you want them to be saved. You want them to be taken care of. You want to help them to find their way to heaven. Titus 3.9 But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Avoid, notice that, avoid controversies. I mean, actually, really, does it matter what your second grandfather of an uncle twice removed by marriage and divorce, who were the sons of uh, an Indian fur trader who was then uh, a Baptist preacher in France in 1500, does it really matter if you are a child of that person? No. Absolutely not. What matters today is if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You believe that he actually came to this world from heaven above, that he lived here, that he worked among us, that he died here, he was resurrected, and he ascended back up into heaven. That's what you have to believe. Anything else is nonsense. Anything else is perverse. What Paul says, it is unprofitable and useless. So did you catch how Paul instructs us concerning with a doctrine of uh, tolerance in those who teach it? He gave us five things in these four scriptures. He says, first of all, turn away. If you hear people that are leading you down the wrong path, and how you determine that is, you take out your Bible, you turn to Scripture that are relevant to it, and you sift what they say. Does it compare with what God's Word says? If it is different than what God's Word says, then you walk away. You don't listen to it. You don't let it penetrate your mind. He then says, have nothing to do with them. You have to turn your back on them. And when I say have nothing to do with them, you have to engage them. It is up to you to engage them for a moment. Just don't waste your time on them. Also, he tells us to silence them. If they say the Bible says this and it doesn't, then you need to teach them what it says. He says to rebuke them. Don't let them stand there and try to take you down the path, the wrong path. But most of all, what he says in is this. Avoid their 
teaching. If you know what they teach is wrong, why are you sticking around and listening to it? Why are you, if you know a portion of their, of their uh, ill-fated, wrong, false gospel is untrue, why do you listen? You see, what Paul has just told us is the exact opposite of the word tolerate means. He's saying that you can't tolerate the misinformation of a misguided generation. We can't listen to them. We cannot, uh, we cannot take in the bad stuff that they are offering. We cannot let them carry us off into hell. And notice as we look at correction for those who have fallen away, uh, the scripture says this uh, here in this, ver- uh, this area. Now to you I, I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. You see, Smyrna was attacked because they were a synagogue of Satan. Pergamum actually dwelt where the throne of Satan existed, but those churches had resisted Satan. Thyatira, on the other hand, had fallen into the deep things of Satan. And I don't know about you, what are the deep things of Satan? Why, does he, why, is, why is this thrown out here? But I, I'm going to tell you what I believe they are. The deep things of Satan are moral ambiguity. The idea that, that there is some truth there and maybe a, of, a thread of truth uh, involved in this, but if you look at it in a right way, you understand that there is much negativity and falseness in it. Deep things of Satan. Also, sexual immorality. I don't think we have to beat the sexual immorality idea on the head. That's a dead horse, in my opinion. We have been talking about sexual immorality uh, so much since I was a teenager. And, hey, young ladies back there, I'm an old man. We're talking 50 years since I was a teenager. And so, so here we have the sexual immorality. You know what it is. You know what the feelings are when you lust. You know what the feelings are when, when you are trying to make a decision on what to do that is right and wrong. Also, deep things of Satan. The ethics of economics. Now, this is going to hurt a little bit. We have to make a decision on how we spend, how we acquire our dollars. Are we going to be honest? Are we going to be, uh, have integrity? Are we going to be willing to take whatever filthy lucre actually falls into our hands? In Thyatira, they would accept anything. Deep things of Satan. Unable to discern right from wrong because they had been deceived into believing that sin is not polarized but graduated. Are you with me there? You see, it's either right or wrong. But in Thyatira, and I believe in the United States today, what we say is okay, it's bad, 
but how bad is it? Is it 5% bad and 95% good? If so, majority wins. And so we have to understand that we can't even have a thread within the mix or we're wrong. But here's some good news in this. For those in Thyatira who have not known the depths of Satan, Jesus says, hold fast what you have till I come. Remember in the beginning he had said, you have all of these great traits. You have all these great things that you are doing and you have this patient endurance, this steadfastness, and that is great. And if you're on that side of the camp, he says, keep on doing those things. Church, if you are doing the right things right now, hang on. Hang on to what you believe is true because, because the Bible says that it's true. What Jesus says here, I put on you no other burden. What he's telling us here is, is that there is no such thing as a Jesus and religion. You know, a little bit of Jesus and this will make it all better. No. Jesus will make it all better. He also is saying that our, should, our, our right response should be this. We will say no to sin. Don't put up with sin. I believe that as Jesus is talking right here, what Jesus says there is nothing to add than what I've taught you. Keep it simple. You see, what we do is we start looking at it and we start adding things in that will make it new and improved in giant size because who wouldn't want to do new and improved giant size Christianity? It'd be better. It'd be, it'd be amazing. All the words of Madison Avenue don't make Christianity better than what the Bible makes Christianity. More good news. He talks about a crown of life here uh, in, in a very uh, imaginative way. He says, And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. And also, as also I've received from my Father, what we have to remember is that one of the guilds here in Thyatira was a potter's guild. And what that means is, uh, if you have ever lived near a pottery barn or a pottery factory, one of the things that happens at a pottery factory is there is a lot of breakage there are a bunch of fragments of pottery all around he says he shall rule them with a rod of iron those who dash to pieces like potter's vessels they could see the potter's vessel there in their own town jesus is saying he will give us authority like he has he was given from the father to rule over the nations you see, we don't need to be afraid that we are some minority that is on the losing team. You want to know why? Because we have victory in Jesus. 
You catch that? We have victory when we have believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We have victory. This world has been defeated, and we are on our way to heaven. We are creatures right now of heaven. We are heavenly creatures as we sit here if we have been born again and baptized. Why? We are in the already, but not yet. We have done what he's asked us to do, and we are waiting for time to close out. See, we have been given authority, and truth wins in the end. And how can we believe that? How can we believe that very thing right there? Because God gave Jesus the authority. Jesus has all the authority, and those who oppose his authority, according to what he says, they will be crushed. The idea, if, if we were near a pottery factory, we could see hundreds of thousands of broken pieces of pottery, and those would be representative of those who haven't chosen to follow Messiah Jesus. He continues and says, and I will give him the morning star. You see, the world might think that it has the brightness and the beauty. But what Jesus says, I will give the overcomers the true morning star. And the judgment and the illumination. What is Jesus going to give them? Himself. If we actually are following Jesus, he is going to give us the illumination, that is the brightness and the light that we need to overcome. You see, in this dark world, no illumination compares to the light of Jesus Christ. Jesus here is referring to himself as a bright star of the morning. The name Thyatira means sacrifice or sacrificial offering. But what we see in Thyatira is they were willing to sacrifice their faith on the altar of compromise. They were willing to practice the sin of tolerance. And what we can learn from them is that what can begin as a small compromise in a little false doctrine can quickly become a sacrifice of truth as we try to accept others. You see, what they had done was abandon what is true for what is convenient. You see, there are multiple, what they were believing at this time and what people believe today is that there are multiple ways to God. But there's only one way. His name is Jesus. This Jesus is the door. He even says, I am the door. He is the bright and morning star. And, and what we have to look at is rather than sacrifice truth on the altar of acceptance like this church, Jesus spoke the truth and was instead betrayed, cast out, and nailed to a tree. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. And he sacrificed himself so that we could know the truth. And if you know the truth, it will set you free. So this morning, my question is simply this. Do you know him? 
Do you know this Jesus who is willing to confront the sin of tolerance? Do you know this Jesus who is willing to confront the sin of oppression? And if so, do you have ears to hear him? Let's pray. Father God, you are so awesome. You lead us to the scriptures that lead us away from culture. You lead us to the place of heaven. And Lord, even though this world is not our home, we know that you are calling us to be with you. We thank you, the morning star, who has illuminated our paths. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. If by chance today, something I've said or something that's been on your heart is calling or talking to you that you need to make changes in your life and you would like at this time to start that change with a prayer from this congregation, we now are going to let you come forward as we stand and as we sing. Up the antenna.